Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. I'm your host, Reed Wallach. Joined, as always, every Wednesday is my co-host, Cody Williams. Cody, how's it going, man? Happy week nine. We're like, I think, turning the corner. This is like home stretch time. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's. I feel like it's gone by really quickly. Like, a lot's happened, but I feel like there's so much more that needs to happen that, like, it just feels like it's flown by. So, But I'm doing good, man. How about you? I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, picks, again. Uh, few... I think some uh, unfair outcomes that I think uh, we deserve a few more winners there, uh, which we will get into. But yeah, everything's good. And, you know, you make a good point about like, we're about to hit November. It's last week, October, about to hit November. And it still feels like there's a few more things that we need to get over before we really know a lot about these teams at the top. You know, we know a lot about the Heisman Trophy race, the college football playoff, conference championships. It feels like we have like little samplings of mm-hmm. big games, temple events throughout the season that it feels like that we just keep pushing. Like, okay, well, we'll learn again in a few weeks when like so-and-so plays so-and-so. Like, oh, this set result, but we still got to see what happens in two weeks when this team goes on the road or something. And it feels like um, there's a lot still to be said. There's a lot to still figure out, as you just said. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like, you know, probably infamously, I've been doing that with Ohio State with every big game that they played all season, starting to believe a little bit in the Buckeyes. But, you know, on a more general level, I just think that there a lot of these contenders, like you look at Georgia, you look at Michigan, and we're going to talk more about Michigan in just a second, but, you know, they haven't played anyone of note. Like Michigan's best win is probably what, Rutgers? Like we're not talking about like a tremendous strength of schedule. And Georgia, you know, they have wins over Kentucky, wins over Auburn, but – they haven't truly, truly been tested by one of these elite teams. So, like, there's a lot of the a lot of these teams still have a lot left to prove over this final stretch. Yeah, uh, that's a good segue, though, into the biggest story in college football. No, it's not a uh, Colorado and Deion Sanders anymore. It is a uh, Michigan sign stealing, 
uh, sting operation, whatever you want to call it. We, we now have a, there's a Michigan manifesto out there that is uh, <laughs> being started. The reports are starting to circulate around the internet. So we're getting into what's going on with Michigan and also where Michigan stands in the national hierarchy. But before we do that, we got to tell you about our good friends over at DraftKings and this promotion. They are running this football season. You don't want to miss it. New users can place $5, a $5 first bet to instantly claim $200 in bonus bets. And you will also be rewarded with a separate, no sweat, single game parlay every day you opt in. This is all you have to do. All you have to do is sign up with our code STB. That stands for stack in the box. Using our code again, STB, not only gets you these bonuses, but it also helps support the podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure to use the code STB the same time you opt in. Code STB maximizes your first bet in parlays. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 and present and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode descriptions for the full terms of the offer below and to see if you qualify. Okay. So Michigan, I don't know how much we need to get into this, but it's obviously the biggest story in college football right now. In short, a low ranking assistant on the Michigan football staff had been traveling to future opponents, big 10 opponents, SEC opponents. I believe that might be it. ACC opponents. Maybe it was Clemson. Pac-12. 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 And was buying tickets on his own dime, Venmoing out as a uh, you know us young youngins do nowadays, um, going to these games and essentially scouting the opponents' um, signals reads because in college football, different than the NFL, there is no communication from coach to player inside the helmet. Everything is done sideline, mm-hmm. and you can steal signs. It's been a th- this is not a new no, thing. No. What is being what is new to this and what makes it so unique and such a for right now at least a big deal is that to our knowledge, we have not seen a team go to this length of tr- sending an assistant or going on your own dime and bringing the information back, sending an assistant to these games, blatantly stealing the signs, bringing them back, and then using that information. So, Cody, I'll, I'll start with you. What I, I guess one to ten big deal meter for the rest of this season is Ooh, for the rest of the season i'd probably go like a two because i really don't yeah yeah i think it's like for this season like i think it's only a two because people aren't going to stop talking about it particularly in the big 10 particularly ohio state fans like they're not going to let this stuff go but that's the only reason i think it's a two like this season i don't think it has any effect on this michigan team like sure you could argue that it may have effect on the x's and o's if they're still using this you know like still using like if teams haven't changed up their signals and aren't combating this but at the same time like what they're the investigation's probably not going to be over until the end of the season if i had to guess just knowing how ncaa investigations go it's probably not going to be over until the end of the season so any repercussions aren't going to be handed down until after in, until the off season at the earliest. And so this season, I just don't see it really having an effect other than it being, you know, the new story that everyone's talking about. I agree. I would, I would, I was going to say a three, but two, I think the only thing is this season, maybe it's a distraction. Yeah. It's next year or whenever this investigation ends that ultimately I think this ends with Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan and Mm -hmm. this is kind of it for them. This is where Michigan, I assume in their ideal world, they get over the hump 
and they win the national championship. And then Jim Harbaugh goes back to the NFL or takes some sort of coaching job, executive job. And eventually in a few years, they finish their investigation and hand Michigan, whether it's like vacate wins or a fine or something or another. So to me, I think that this is a little overblown in the short term, especially with at least like what I'm reading with this report. Obviously it's not great. And I'm not like endorsing that they were cheating or something. I'm seeing this compared to the Houston Astros thing. It seems a little, right. I don't think it was, I don't think it's that as big of a no. deal. Um, but now like there's a new report from Richard Johnson of sports illustrated saying this guy, Connor stallions, who is a former Marine obsessed with Michigan, literally had a 600 page document called the Michigan manifesto about how he and you know a group of people wanted to take over the Michigan program and lead them to the promised land. Whether this was all this was all pre-orchestrated as a fall guy, yeah. it seems like it's very easy though for Michigan to pin this on just him and keep everyone else insulated from the issue. And in the short term, at least, it's you know it's a few annoying questions here and there. But like to me, I don't think this is as big of a deal as people are doing. And listen, I don't think that this is like blatant cheating. This goes on everywhere. This goes on by every team. Uh, there's all some sort of like sign stealing. Again, this is like a little much. You know, yeah, the vi- the videotaping is like the one element here that's like oh, like it's the not cheating. No, it's not cheating. Like I, you still have to go out there and defend it. You still, you know, so exactly. I just I don't think this is like. I, cheating it's not like they were taking steroids or you know right. like getting the play, it's not like they had the play sheet like if they if this guy was going into the locker room and stealing something that's obviously different like this is all right. part of the game and it even says in the ncaa rules like this is kind of gamesmanship like obviously this is maybe on like the gray area of breaking that rule yeah but like to me this is a little overblown and I think witch hunt is almost too strong, but it does feel like there's a lot of people now kind of jumping in on this, like to see the, the first of all, the top team this year, but also like getting a few jabs at Harbaugh, like on his way down or, you know, out while yeah. like all these reports are coming out. No, hundred percent. And going to your Astros point about like the severity of what's happening here at Michigan uh, we're actually going to tie. I'm going to tie Colorado into this a little bit. Deion Sanders was asked about it yesterday. I don't know if you saw his quotes, but he basically said, you know, everyone's, not. he basically said, everyone's trying to get an edge. But at the end of the day, in football, you have to go out there and still stop the play. Like, you can know I'm running a sweep to the left, but if your linebacker can't tackle my running back, it does not matter. And where, you know, you liken it to like the Astros, if a professional hitter knows that a curveball is coming, He's going to tattoo that baseball most of the time. So, yeah, like, it's just on it and just tee off. Yeah. Like, yeah. 100%. And Deion Sanders is uniquely qualified to answer that question considering he played in both the NFL and Major League Baseball. Like, he's probably the most, like, I don't know, important figure to ask that question to because he knows the, like, difference in the severity of those two things. So, like, completely agree. Yeah. So, like, I think Deion actually offered a lot of, like, insight into, like, how severe we should be taking this Michigan thing and, like, you know, Michigan still has to go out there and make the play, and they've obviously been doing that at a high level. Yeah, I, I think obviously, like, it, it's never a good look, obviously, but I feel like no. this is more the news cycle getting sweeped up in something that's probably not as big of a deal. And also, it seems like things, it, it's starting to turn, in my opinion, into more around this guy, Connor Stallions, more than anything else, that he's like kind of this like next level Michigan fanatic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this sounds like a movie. It really like, does. 
Yeah, it doesn't sound real. It sounds like something like Hollywood scriptwriters would put in there. So let's talk more about Michigan, the team, though, because they go to East Lansing and absolutely, to the surprise of nobody, dispose of Michigan State 49-0. Again, another just chalk it up, another blowout win. They're winning by like an average margin of like 38, I think, in Big Ten play, something like that. Yeah. Um, I know you had mentioned Michigan hasn't played anybody we still don't really know how it will go when they travel to Happy Valley in a few weeks, when they play Ohio State in the um, final game of the season. That being said, and you know, the last few weeks I've come on the show and I've said, I think Michigan is the best team in the country. I think that they are far and away the best. And I think that they're going to ultimately win the national championship. To me, yes, they have an easy schedule, but there is something unique about watching a team week in and week out just absolutely blow the doors off their opponents because a bunch of great teams have sleepy spots. A bunch of great teams kind of take their foot off the gas and they have to go on the road and they struggle to get margin and, you know, a few picks go the other way or a penalty or something like that, missed kicks. Michigan is absolutely beating the brakes off these teams. And I think that that is a, a tip of the cap to how dominant this team is. And look, Maybe they struggle against Penn State and they lose that game. And all of a sudden, the the narrative around Michigan is a little bit different. But to me, the way I see it, this is a sign of one of the great teams in, I don't know about recent memory, but season long, just in a vacuum. This mm-hmm. is one of the most dominant teams we're going to see. And I think, honestly, when we get to that Penn State and Ohio State game, I think they're going to look the part as well and get through those games and you know ultimately run the table in the regular season. Because I think that the gap is that wide between Michigan and all the teams on the schedule this year. I I completely agree with you. I mean, I one of the reasons we're talking about this is I said that my in our pre-show meeting, I said that uh, the my big takeaway from Penn State Ohio State last week was that Michigan's the best team in the Big 10 bar like by far because mm-hmm. I watched those two teams and like for much of that game neither team could move the ball consistently. It wasn't until, you know, they you know, Ohio State as they do unlock the cheat code of Oh, get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. a hundred times in this game. Maserati Marv. Oh my God. Please Gus Johnson, please retire <laughs> from the nickname. My God. If I had to hear that one more time. But and I mean it didn't help that he had like what 18 receptions or something ridiculous. <laughs> like it was just constant. But I mean, Michigan, like you said, they have they haven't played anyone. Like they played, I think, two teams that it might like that are trending towards bowl eligibility eligibility right now. And but the way that they've dominated on both sides of the ball, it's not it's not just been, you know, oh, the like we watched Penn State dominate a lot of teams coming into last before last week. And it was OK, but is the offense good? Because we know the defense is like top tier and it proved it's still a very good defense. But the offense does have problems. But Michigan's doing it on both sides of the ball and they're doing it in multifaceted ways. Like they're stopping different styles of offense defensively. And they're also attacking with JJ McCarthy and also uh, with the run game with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Like this team can beat you in so many different ways. And they've been doing it against this inferior competition. I completely agree. And before we talk about uh, maybe the catalyst for Michigan's improvement scores this season, beat ECU 30 to three. Beat UNLV 35-7. Beat Bowling Green 31-6. Beat Rutgers 31-7. Beat Nebraska on the road 45-7. Won at Minnesota 52-10. Beat Indiana 52-7. And Indiana's only touchdown was on a trick play in the first quarter. And they went to Michigan State and won 49-0. I mean, this is just absolutely next-level mm-hmm. domination. 
from the Wolverines. I don't care what the competition is to have your foot on the pedal like that is, I think, a, a sign of dominance that we rarely mm-hmm. see in college football. Also, while Michigan was uh, putting on the finishing touches of beating Michigan State, Washington was kicking off their game at home against Arizona State. Last week, Michael Penix became the odds on, or I guess now a week and a half ago or so, Michael Penix Jr. became the odds on favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. I believe we talked about it on this show that mm-hmm. I was skeptical that that was going to play out and that he should, like, I think it was an overreaction to the, as someone was honking, maybe an agreement or disagreement. <laughs> with uh, I think Michael Penix Jr., it, it was a reaction to the Oregon win, but I didn't really believe in that. Mm-hmm. I was of the belief that J.J. McCarthy was, it, things were setting up for J.J. McCarthy to rise to the top. I think it happened a little bit faster than some people had expected because Washington doesn't score an offensive touchdown against lowly Arizona State. Maybe should have lost if Arizona State had a kicker. Uh, Arizona State's kicker missed like three short field goals, and Arizona State had to end up going for it a bunch. Ended up doing a pick six on one of those fourth downs. Um, So now J.J. McCarthy is the Heisman Trophy favorite. Wouldn't say it's a done deal, of course, Mm -hmm. but I do think if Michigan is going to run the table – Gonna be tough to take him down. I know he doesn't have the gaudy stats like a Jaden Daniels or a Michael Penix have. Those are the second and third choices. But McCarthy's efficiency numbers are insane. We were just talking about how dominant Michigan is. If Michigan gets them the two crowning wins of beating two, I think playoff worthy teams this year. Yeah. Worthy of conversation around it, even if the resume doesn't <laughs> stack up just talent wise. Like right. Penn State to me is still like a top 10 team in the country top 15 team in the country absolutely uh, you get those two wins to me this is mccarthy's award to lose i just think the odds movement happened a little bit faster than i expected because i didn't know if washington was gonna lay a clunker like that so fast but um i agree completely with the odds move no 100 and i i think the point that you're making about the odds moving faster than we expected is actually works so much in mccarthy's favor too because the way the schedule set up it was always going to be a late push with two November games against Penn state and Ohio state. Like those are his chances for quote unquote Heisman moments, you know, to really like leave a lasting impression. And for him to already be the favorite going into those games, he has nothing but like opportunity and green grass ahead of him. And like, you look at, you know, you look at the people behind him, like Penix doesn't necessarily have those, like they still have some marquee games on the schedule, but they're going to lose a game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I was on the fence last week when we talked about it, but after seeing, you know, how I think my takeaway from that Washington game was that that team is more banged up than I think that we realize on the offensive on the offensive line. They look banged up. Penix doesn't look a hundred percent right now. Like he's not moving at a hundred percent. So like, I definitely think they're trending towards a loss, but then like you look at Jaden Daniels, he has the Alabama game, which could be a feather in his cap. If he dominates that Alabama defense and keeps putting up the numbers that he's been putting up, but LSU is still a two-loss team. LSU doesn't really have an opportunity after the Alabama game to do that, whereas J.J. McCarthy has two opportunities in those marquee spots to really like put a stamp on this Heisman campaign. Yeah, McCarthy's numbers pale in comparison to someone like Jaden Daniels, uh, but McCarthy's numbers on the year, uh, 1,799 passing yards, completing 78% of his passes, three interceptions, also has three touchdowns on the ground. So, Weren't all three picks in one game, too? Yeah, against Bowling Green, which is yeah. today, but, uh, yeah. So JJ McCarthy is your Heisman betting favorite. I don't. I'm in New York, so I don't have the odds readily available 
Um, Cody, I don't know if you want to just rattle off the odds right now, uh, if you can pull them up quickly, but uh, McCarthy is the betting favorite Penix and Daniels right behind him. And then further down the pack, but I guess still within shouting distance, if things break their way, you have guys like Dylan Gabriel, um, Bo Nix, if they run the table, I would Carson Beck maybe has an opportunity to throw his hat into the ring, depending on how they do against Florida, which we're going to talk in a little bit. Uh, Cody, if you have the odds up, we kind of share. I do not have the odds up. I apologize. I was trying to get them. Oh, good. I can keep kind of filibustering uh, if you want to pull them up just so we could share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, To me, I I mean, Caleb obviously done – the the paths to victory are starting to shrink for a lot of people, whereas, okay, if Washington runs the table and they have a quarterback like Michael Penix with his numbers – he has a path to winning. J.J. McCarthy, he would be the quarterback of the dominant team. He has a path. Jaden Daniels would have like the statistical case. After that, it becomes a little bit more difficult to see some of these quarterbacks hanging on to the conversation. So the race is starting to shrink quite a bit. Yeah, all right. So I have the odds. Uh, J.J. McCarthy's uh, the favorite, as mentioned, uh, plus 250. Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix at plus 300. Then it's a huge gap. And then you've got Dylan Gabriel, Bo Nix, and Jordan Travis all at plus 1,200. Marvin Harrison Jr. is actually the next one on the board at uh, plus 2,000. Carson Beck with a little dark horse at plus 3,000. Those odds are shrinking. And then we get down to like Quinn Ewers, Drake May, all plus 5,000 or above. But yeah, they're gone. That's not in the conversation anymore. Yeah. All right, cool. So let's start uh, our week nine preview. Again, you like any of these picks, use the code STB, stands for stack in the box at DraftKings. You will get uh, $200 in bonus bets on your first $5 wager and single game parlays for the rest of the football season every single day. All right. Two and four last week for yours truly. Four and two for Cody. We're both still way under 500 as we hit the stretch run, but maybe we could turn it around. I lead Cody by a single game now after my uh, back my second straight losing week. I'm 25 and 32 and one Cody, 24, 33 and one. I just want to say on my picks, like reviewing them from last week, I think I was in the right spot. We were on the under in Alabama, Tennessee together. Mm-hmm. I was on the under in Duke, Florida state. And I think the same, not the same exact thing, but the same type of thing happened in each game that led to both bets losing. I projected both favorites to kind of, vice grip the opponent and kind of Mm -hmm. sit on the ball a little bit, have more of a ball control type game. Tennessee flies down the field, scores on the first drive. Bama goes three and out. They have a turnover. Tennessee gets up 13, nothing. That to me threw the game out of whack where Alabama needed to press more than I believe that it might. When I was thinking the game, I didn't think they were going to have to not to mention the total still almost got there. If it wasn't for a Joe Milton fumble, on a sack in the late fourth quarter for a scoop and score for Alabama. So I still think that was the right bet. Florida state Duke, Florida state doesn't get two fourth downs in their own territory in the first quarter and throw a pick six to fall behind. And then the game gets sideways in the fourth quarter when Riley Leonard goes down. But again, Duke hardly scored in that game. They got 20 points and seven run a pick six. So I, and they scored on a 50 yard broken play. So I think that the, the, the bet was there. The correct yeah. bet was there. It was more that, you know, a few – the underdog getting ahead early kind of through the game script that I anticipated out of whack. What did you think on your picks? You went four and two. Well, so I actually want to speak on the Duke pick real quick. Also, like at the time that we, you made that pick, we didn't know Riley Leonard, Riley Leonard was playing. Like it was – he, he didn't look point. good though. So like I – That's what I'm saying. I, I, I was going to say – chance, I still th- – yeah. 
I was going to say Mike Elko should not have played him. He didn't look mm-hmm. good. He didn't look healthy. And now they have a game against Louisville where they they might not have Riley Leonard again. Now they're really putting their ACC chances in jeopardy. So, like, I think it was a bad decision. I think I, I'm with you that it was a good bet by you. Um, I mean, I, I had a decent week. You know, Air Force, Navy, and Iowa unders were easy yeah, money. Were cash. Yeah. Um, the Penn State, you know, I had Penn State plus four and a half. That's just a misread on the offense on my part. Like, I, that's a bad mm-hmm. bet on my part. So, I can't. I can't, you know, say anything about that. Though, and also a mystery of the Ohio State defense. Like, if anything about Ohio State, I have confidence in it's that defense is one of the like probably five best in the country. That unit is good, and I underrated that. And then I was same with you when we were on the under for Alabama Tennessee together. Those were my two misses. Were the two marquee games of the week. But uh, I, I'm like, we saw the true colors of Tennessee in the second half of that game when they got held scoreless, and the fact that they got 20 points in the first half pretty flukishly like that that just hurt and it killed us yeah uh again tennessee i didn't have one like serious drive in the second half tennessee's whole game first drive scripted joe melton i'll give him credit down to that he could throw it but uh threw like a 40 yard bomb to squirrel right great catch (laughs) touchdown that's the best joe melton throw i've ever seen (laughs) yeah two short fields for tennessee uh got two field goals even then right before the half, he hits another like 40-yard pass that kind of jump starts a touchdown drive. And then that was pretty much it for Tennessee. So I think we made the right, right bet. It just didn't play out in our favor. But no more talk about last week. We're on to this week. We're on to week nine, week nine. We're gonna run with the same kind of theme as last week, same topics. We're gonna start with our favorite total. Cody, where are you looking? I'm going to BYU, Texas, and I'm taking the under 50 and a half in this game. Obviously, the big narrative is Quinn Ewers uh, sprained AC joint in his shoulder, right shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, he suffered last week in the win against Houston, a close win that had me worried about all my faith in Texas. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, that's the big story. But I think coming into this game, the like the inclination because of that is going to be to the under. But I, the more I dug into the numbers, the more I really like the pick regardless of the situation BYU's offense with Keaton Slovis and whoever's at quarterback is absolutely horrendous they rank 129th in the country in success rate and they're going up against a top 15 defense in success rate with Texas and with Ewers out I expect that the Texas offense is going to be a lot more reliant on the run particularly with Malik Murphy who is much more of a dual threat quarterback than Quinn Ewers so that's going to keep the clock running but I also think that with Malik Murphy making his first start, with him having a limited experience, and with Sark honestly having most likely having to coach like a real a real heavy game plan, game script game for Murphy, I think that they're going to be fine to just get like a two touchdown lead and kind of pack it in. And I think this defense is good enough to limit everything BYU is going to do. So I think to get to over this total, Texas would have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, and I don't think they have like the inclination or desire to do that in this game. So that's why I like the under in this. BYU sucks. Like just yes. point blank. They're terrible. They're I, how are they five and two? Give me a no break. idea. <laughs> Let's go go back through their wins. I want to say they've been outgained in like three or four of them. Yeah. And the last few weeks, they played Texas Tech last week, who's starting a true freshman quarterback, uh, third stringer. They got smoked by TCU on their backup, who got they got annihilated by Kansas State. So what does that say about BYU? And they played another backup too. Um as I try to scramble to bring up their schedule. I completely agree with you, though, on Texas. I, I've i also seen when they've been big favorites this year, they haven't mm-hmm. shown the killer instinct that we have thought that they yeah. had. Even And I forget that there's like a backup in now, which only helps your case, but 
Texas has kind of played with its food a little bit. I do wonder if there's a sense that that Alabama game was really like, that's the peak and it's not yeah. like sustained peak. That is like, all right, we're getting this one. We are beating Alabama. We're about to give it <laughs> all into that. And then the rest, not that they're not good, not that they're not talented, but that was just like a really, really big scheduled effort. Another big push against Oklahoma. But maybe this offense just, it's not clicking like many had expected before the season. And maybe that's what's going to keep this team out of the college football playoff is that on paper, it looks nice, but the team is more just like very good instead of great. Yeah. And I think, I mean, unfortunately, I think that's kind of a Sark problem that we've seen over the years. Mm -hmm. Like he big game Sark is a thing. Like he shows up, he has his teams ready for big games and it's the, you know, the 11 other games or the 10 other games on the schedule where you're like, okay, what are you doing there, fellow? Like, I'm not sure you're, like, getting this team ready to play an entire regular season. It's just one or two games in the regular season. Really quick on BYU before yeah. I do have my pick. So against Arkansas, BYU, they won 38-31, was outgained in the game 424 to 281. Again, they won on the road against Arkansas. That was before Arkansas really fell off, too. Um, they lose to Kansas. They beat Cincinnati on a Friday night game that they were trailing. In that game, Cincinnati outgained BYU 498 to 295. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, BYU, they also struggled to score on Sam Houston State, who still hasn't won a game. They won 14 nothing in that game. And then they got smoked by TCU, and then they beat Texas Tech last week with a third-string quarterback. So, BYU, real fraudulent. Sticking in the Big 12, though, my favorite bet, total bet. I'm going to go West Virginia, UCF, over 59 uh, game is going to be at UCF, 12 o'clock kick. West Virginia off their bye. They've had a lot of defensive injuries. Got off to a really hot start, 4-2. and two. Since then, allowed 41 to Houston on the road and then 48 to Oklahoma State at home. I think this defense got off to a hot start and starting to trend in the wrong direction as we get into the later parts of this year. Meanwhile, on the other side, UCF, even with all their quarterback injuries, top 15 in EPA per rush this mm -hmm. year. Had John Reese Plumley healthy last week, they nearly took down Oklahoma on the road, scored 29 points there. Uh, the defense for UCF has been a real bugaboo this year, all year. I mean, this team is bottom five in EPA per rush allowed. And I like what I've seen from this West Virginia offense. I think Garrett Green has developed nicely, dual threat. We've seen tight ends able to get down the field as well for West Virginia. I just think a bunch of points here. You look at UCF's games this year, 31-29 against Oklahoma. 51-22 against Kansas, where KU was able to get a bunch of explosives. UCF probably should have scored more in that game, too. They blow the game against Baylor, where they score 35. They end up lighting like 28 up in the fourth. 44-31 loss to Kansas State. They put up 48 against FCS Villanova. And then they play at Boise State, and the final score was 18-16. to But UCF scored on like one of five red zone chances. Like they should have put they, – they had like 500 yards of total offense. So – I think there's going to be points left and right. I think West Virginia, these last two weeks are like more indicative of what this team is going to look like. So over 59, it's a fairly high scoring game, but I think each team can get into the end zone at least four times and then a little bit extra on top of that. So West Va, UCF over 59, my favorite total this week. No, I love this because another factor that I'm looking at with this game and in, in that plays to the over is – I think both of these quarterbacks, though they're impressive in what they do, like they play their schemes really well, like they handle that really well. They're turnover prone a little bit when they have to throw the ball. 
And I think that could lead to short fields for both of these offenses, which I have a lot of faith in generally. So, like, I think if you're looking at short fields, that's just going to add more to the total. So, yeah, I mean, I love this. Yeah, something I'm keeping an eye on, I feel like the middle of the Big 12, like your like the middle bottom, like your Oklahoma State, you're like these two, West Virginia, UCF, Kansas, Iowa Kansas State. State. Yeah, I think big over energy. From those mm-hmm. oh, teams, yeah. it's traditional think, Big Twelve. That's what I, I think. No, but like it, it, it hasn't been like that though. The no, past like, few hasn't. years have been a lot of defense. I mm-hmm. feel like we're going to see a lot of like drunk backyard football going forward into like the later stage of the season. I think that you're going to see pass rate way up. Teams playing faster. Teams playing much more aggressive because the Big Twelve title race is like quickly and always has been, but it's quickly becoming a two-ish team race. Maybe Kansas State throws their name in there. Maybe Oklahoma State stays hot and gets in there. But pretty much, it's Oklahoma, Texas, and then everybody else. Mm-hmm. I think the other teams are going to start acting much more aggressive, going to be pressing a little bit more. You're going to see broken plays. You're going to see big plays, and you're going to see a lot of points. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on. A lot of these teams I have circled as over teams. Like Iowa State, Baylor this week. I think that's an over game. Um, who else are playing this week in the Big 12? Um Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, that could be a particularly mm-hmm. higher scoring game just given where Cincinnati is and how aggressive they're probably going to be drawing dead this season. Um, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas can try and push the pace and get that into a higher scoring game. So I think Big 12 overs might be a thing as we get into November, obviously weather pending. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, just don't take a BYU over because their offense is fraudulent. So, And that's <laughs> what we've learned today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, let's move on. Uh, kind of a lower key slate, I think, uh, relative to some of the past few weeks, but it is the world's largest outdoor cocktail party with Georgia taking on Florida in Jacksonville, neutral site. Both teams coming off the bye. Georgia, a 14.5 point favorite, total now at 46.5. Cody, how do you see it? First game of that Brock Bowers. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually – this might be counterintuitive with it being the first game without Brock Bowers, but I'm taking Georgia first half minus seven and a half. Um, we talked last week when we were discussing the Brock Bowers injury, or maybe it was the week before. I don't know. At some point, we talked about the Brock Bowers injury. And in talking about that, we talked about the possibility of Georgia's offense finding more of an identity, finding more balance, and being more reliable with by putting more on Carson Beck's shoulders. And – I think that the timing of the Brock Bowers injury could not have been worse for Florida. It happened in the bye week. They've had an entire two-week stretch to get things ready in that capacity to reshape this offense a little bit without number 19 out there. And when you start to dig into the numbers with how Florida has played in terms of conference play, in terms of power five competition, 
it gets a little ugly for them. They're 75th in the country in yards allowed in conference play this season. Uh, Georgia, contrarily, uh, ranks fifth offensively in yards and conference yards per game in conference play. And Georgia's also top 20 in EPA per play in both the run and in the passing game. So this offense has been moving efficiently, and I understand the Brock Bowers injury throws a wrench into that, but I still think it's going to be able to move efficiently. And I think the big key when I look at, you know, early game script type stuff is Georgia has uh, ranks 13th in explosive plays, plays of 20 plus yards, while Florida ranks 71st and Georgia's defense ranks third. I think uh, Georgia is able to get some explosives early in this game and really set the tone, kind of set the tone without Brock Bowers. I think this is a statement game for them, obviously a rivalry game. We saw what they did against uh, Kentucky in their biggest rivalry type game to this point. I know Auburn is Auburn. Like they're not, mm. they, I don't think they took that game seriously, even though it is the deep South's oldest rivalry. Uh, just because Auburn is so hapless most of the time offensively. And I think that's why they almost got caught. But I think in this game that Kirby has these guys ready, and I think they come out and make a statement without Brock Bowers in the first half. Yeah, I feel like we're looking at this game kind of similarly. Uh, first, I think it's funny. I feel like every SEC matchup, there's all there's always some nickname slash like really old rivalry thing between every school. Every it's not as bad as the like, Big Ten. Don't lie. <laughs> no, the Big Ten has stupid trophy names. But like <laughs> the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Like I like every time like SEC teams get together, it's like a lot of bad blood between these two programs. <laughs> like you know, no love lost here between like like random schools. Like uh, who like Arkansas like travels to face George. Like oh. These teams used to go at it in the eighties. Like they, these two teams <laughs> do not like each other. It's like, I feel like it's so random, but I do agree with you. I think Florida's defense, their biggest issue, uh, explosive play defense mm-hmm. uh, outside the top one hundred in both explosive pass and run defense. This was really shown against Kentucky, where Ray Davis rushed for like over two hundred yards, and and Kentucky absolutely demolished Florida. Georgia, I feel like we've been on this for a while all season. We've been saying. We actually think Carson Beck's pretty good. They just mm-hmm. need to let, let him loose a little bit. Let the training wheels off. It's like the first half is like, all right, we're going to waste away drives by running it three straight times. And then when it's time for Carson Beck to start chucking it around the field, he does it pretty well. Uh, and Georgia wins the see, game. Crazy. And Georgia, yeah. Even without Brock Bowers, I do think it's another week for Lad McConkey to get healthy. Maybe they could get Dominic Lovett involved. I think Georgia's going to be able to open up the passing game quite a bit against the Florida secondary that I think is a little um, underwhelming. I think Florida's front seven is pretty solid. Actually. I think it's the back seven. That is a bit of a concern. That being said, as a Wisconsin graduate and someone who made a lot of fun of Florida for uh, taking Graham Mertz in the portal, Graham Mertz have been pretty good this year. I I will say that I've been impressed with Graham Mertz. I was very impressed against South Carolina. Granted South Carolina, terrible defense, but Graham Mertz passed 423 yards in that game and led them mm-hmm. to victory down 10 in the fourth quarter. He only has one turnover-worthy play this season, according to the PFF. I know a lot of that is scheme-dependent. Graham Mertz doesn't throw the ball downfield whatsoever, so maybe Georgia can bait him into a few if he gets games negative into a negative game script. That being said, almost every team this year has been able to score on Georgia some, somehow, some way. Yeah. You know, you look at Vanderbilt got to 20. UAB got to 21. Kentucky got smoked. They got 13, but Georgia did all the heavy lifting there. They got to 51. I think it's interesting that Georgia, they don't have a high sack rate. They only have 12 sacks in the year. Of course, they get a lot of pressure, but they haven't been getting home a lot. They also have allowed a touchdown on 73% of red zone opportunities for the opponent. So when teams get in close, they're turning those into six. And with Mm -hmm. a low total, like 46 and a half, 
That makes me want to go over. So that's my favorite bet in this one. I like the over. I think Georgia takes care of business, but I think Florida is going to be able to do just enough to make this scoreline look competitive. Yeah. Maybe lose by like 17, but I think Georgia is going to be able to get to a point that Florida cannot hang where Georgia's into like the thirties, but I think Florida is going to do enough to push this one into the mid fifties. I make this like 51 and a half. I think, like a 34-17 final makes a lot of sense here. Something in, of that nature. Maybe it's like um, even I mean, 46 and a half, something like 31-20. I, I think yeah. teams, have, teams have shown an ability to score on Georgia. Even Auburn, who couldn't move the ball at all, hit a few uh, big run plays, whether it was a quarterback design run or not. That worked, got them to the scoring position, and they scored. So I think over is my best bet here. Georgia a sneaky over team this year. No, I like that play a lot, and I think it. I think we're seeing the game the same way, just taking different angles to get there. Like I, I don't think Georgia's offense has it. If they come out the way I expect them to, without Brock Bowers, like putting more on Carson Beck's shoulders, asking him to cook right away, like I don't think Georgia's going to have a lot of trouble scoring in this game. And I think they're like, like you said, Graham Mertz and this Florida offense have been playing much better than I think you, I, or most people with who had watched Graham Mertz and Madison uh, expected them to. And so like, I don't think Georgia's going to have the luxury to just like sit on the football and like stop scoring. Like I think an under or the over here is a pretty easy play. Yeah. I, I just think, well, it's a little too low for my liking. Yeah. All right. Next marquee game I'll talk about Oregon, Utah, Utah pulls out another victory against USC. One of the, uh, more compelling games of the season, I thought, just with like all the emotions yeah. flying there. Really gutty effort from Utah, not to be surprised. Um, they are now back home from the confines of Rice Eccles. They're now hosting for, I think, both of our money, the best team in the Pac-12. That's Oregon. Oregon enters as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, Oregon avoided a little slow start, but they take care of business against Washington State. Oregon, a few guys were held out, maybe precautionary reasons, especially in the secondary. So maybe Washington was able to score a few cheapies that way. Utah, it's pretty much an all-run first offense. They are now moving guys from the defense over to the offense to try and uh, mask some of those injuries and leaving their defense a little bit more vulnerable. I mean, Utah, it's a gritty effort, but Cam Rising finally ruled out for the year. I think we all kind of realized that was where this was going. Uh, Kuthi also out for the year, the tight end. So Utah's going to try and just make do with Braxton Barnes and uh, this makeshift Utah offense. Uh, Cody, how do you see this one? So I see this one. I am staying away from a side on either part of this because Utah is one of the most impossible teams in the world for me to bet on against with. It just doesn't matter. So I'm going actually Oregon team total under 28 and a half in this game. So looking back at the schedule that Oregon's played to this point, they have not played a defense that ranks top 40 in EPA per play this season. Utah's number two in the country defensively in EPA per play. It's by far the toughest defense that the Ducks have seen. And we know that with that rush first offense that Utah has, they're going to slow the game down. So when I look at pace and I look at the defense that is going to match up well with what Oregon wants to do, which Oregon has been an efficient offense, but they haven't been tested in terms of defense. And like we've seen them put up points, but against the better competition they played, you know, you look at a Washington who is the best defense they played. I think they're 42nd in EPA per play this season defensively. 
they only put up 33 points. Probably should have been 36. Sorry, Reed. Um, but you know, uh, they have the Ducks no. haven't played this, and now we're in Rice Eccles Stadium, which is one of the toughest road environments to play in. Bo Nix has traditionally struggled on the road in these types of environments, particularly when he's playing against a defense the caliber of this Utah team. I think Oregon wins this game. I think they may even cover, but I don't think that they're going to blow the doors off of this Utes defense. And so asking them to score four touchdowns or fewer, I'm going to take that bet. Got to go head to head with you here. Let's it's do getting it. close in the it's getting close in the standings. I gotta I gotta separate a little bit. I'm gonna go okay. to Oregon team total over 28 and a half. Let's see if uh, the Ducks can get it back for me after they uh, don't they they land on on the number 33 against Washington. That key number, man, it got you. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think USC should have won that game against Utah. I think they abandoned the run way too early in that game. Utah's rush defense is quietly like not very good anymore. I think the injuries are really starting to take a toll. According to PFF, Utah ranks 115th in rush defense grading. I know that they play hard, play hard-nosed football, but I think we're starting to see some cracks in Utah. And they haven't been able to hold up against physical teams. Oregon State kind of bullied them at, at home. or uh, Utah's on the road. They bullied them. Now I know they're at home. Oregon – Number one in success rate, number one in offensive line yards. I don't think Bo Nix is going to have to do all that much because they have such a good rush game with Jones and Bucky Irving. And if necessary, I mean, Sloan Vaki is now playing running back. He was their stud safety. He's not playing running back because that's how banged up they are. I know there's going to be shots over the top for Oregon. I honestly think Oregon is so far better than USC and more complete than USC I think they're going to come out with a good game plan. I just think that they kind of steamroll Utah and they just kind of beat them into submission. And, um, you know, this is an Oregon defense that's gotten pressure this year. Maybe Barnes makes a mistake and all of a sudden they fall behind. I, I know Utah, the numbers look great. The offense has been so poor, though, that I don't know if it's going to hold up. I mean, you're talking about when they went to Oregon State, seven points. Yeah. Against UCLA, they scored 14 and they got one on the first play of the game of pick six. Florida, first play of the game, big bomb play. USC, offense kind of turtled there in the fourth quarter, including throwing a pick six. I know they're at home and I know that crowd gets rowdy. I just feel like Oregon is such a cut above. I think they take care of business here and I think they fly over the total. I think that this one gets a little out of hand. I know it's on the road, so going against the Rice Eccles voodoo, but Head to head, I had to take my chance here. Hey, I like it. I mean, like like I said to start off my pick, I we we talked about it in the pre-show meeting yesterday too. Like, we don't know how to bet this game because these two, like, we know Oregon's the better team, but Utah just mucks things up so much that you just never know what you're going to get from a game. And I I could see it going either way. I like the underside, but if it went over, it wouldn't shock me. You know, like it just wouldn't shock me because it's Utah football and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, Oregon obviously need both teams need this one for yeah. a Pac-12 championship uh, possibilities. All right, let's go to the, the primetime slate. Yeah. Uh, handful of games in this window should be interesting uh, while everyone's settling in for Saturday night. Where are you looking, Cody? Uh, again, this is like the 7, 730 window. Yeah, so I'm staying in the Pac-12, and uh, I'm laying the points with UCLA, minus 17 at DraftKings uh, against Colorado. 
I'm not sure why this line is so low outside of the fact that we've seen UCLA's offense with you uh, with Dante Moore previously like struggle to I guess be consistent I guess is the best way to say it but they went to Garbers last week and we saw this UCLA de- or offense really start to cook a little bit but more importantly Colorado's defense makes every offense look like a world beater like yeah. they've they, so to some pretty mediocre two bad offensives they've allowed they've allowed them to put up 20 plus points against them but then on the flip side of that you're looking at this UCLA defense that is number 1 in uh, EPA per play this season and they have one of the most fierce pass rushers in the country when we I've expressed concern about Colorado's offensive line the entire year and we saw what Oregon did to Shador Sanders to disrupt him and it was get pressure on him like quickly so he couldn't even make the quick throws in that offense and if he did it was for like one or two yards I think we see that, but even like more, I guess, amplified is the right word, more amplified against this UCLA front, which I think is better than Oregon's. And I think UCLA's offense with Garbers, I think they're energized enough by that move and playing against a pretty piss poor defense that they're pretty, they're able to win this game by three scores pretty comfortably. Oh yeah. Uh, I completely agree. I I bet UCLA as well. I think uh, slaughter. Yeah. UCLA grades as the number one pass rush in the entire country. Yeah. Shadur Sanders has been sacked more than any other quarterback, <laughs> any other quarterback in the country. How in the world is he going to stay standing in this one? I He's think they not. fall behind early and, you know, similar to what we saw against Oregon, like kind of just Dion kind of just like punts the game away. Turtles just kind of moves on. Uh, just protects, protects the guys that he has healthy still. Like that's, I yeah. think that's what we see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think UCLA and, you know, not that I think Garbers is so special, but I think he knows how to run this offense. He's been mm-hmm. there for, I think this is third year or fourth year. Um, I think he knows, got the ball in the hands of a J. Michael Sturdivant, hand the ball off to Carson Steele, keep this thing moving. I mean, they showed no 42-7 against Stanford. It, that game was over from the jump. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was and ugly. I, I know, like, we make fun of Colorado. They blew that 29-0 lead. That being said, like, Colorado's closer to Stanford that like mm-hmm. that's like a, an apt comparison based on how those teams are constructed. Um, Colorado obviously has like a higher upside on offense, but I think UCLA is going to be able to cook in this one. I think 17 for sure. They can win this one with margin. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, mine, you know, t- Tennessee, Kentucky under 51 and a half. Uh, I kind of like the home dog in this one, but I'm going to lean towards the under. We're going to try again with Tennessee uh, under after last week and burned us. I just don't trust either offense. No. Uh, Devin Leary, something clearly isn't right with the shoulder off the season-ending surgery. He's only completing 54% of his passes. Uh, Kentucky really hasn't been able to generate explosives outside of Ray Davis on the ground. We spoke ad nauseum last week about Tennessee's poorest pass game. This is a team bottom 40 EPA per pass, passing game grade. There's really nothing going on here. Joe Milton still completing less than 25% of his deep throws this season. So I think both defenses control the game. I think this is an absolute grind with a nept quarterback play on both sides. And you know what? Shout out to Tennessee's defense. Mm-hmm. They have been Absolutely. very impressive all season long, especially on the defensive line, really shut down the Alabama ground game a ton. Alabama needed like some motion jet, jet sweep type actions to really get the run game going. Up the middle was not working. I think Kentucky's going to struggle to move the ball. And Tennessee is going to stall out. So give me under 51 and a half, Tennessee, Kentucky. I'm absolutely in love with this play. Uh, 
this is one of those you got your pick in first and i was like okay there's other games in the prime time slate i'll go somewhere else but i i have this one as well um you know, you look at Kentucky and their offense with the way Leary has struggled this season. And if Ray Davis isn't moving the ball well, Kentucky has a real problem scoring. And we, like you just said, our Tennessee's run defense is top like 30 in the country in terms of EPA per play against the run. So I just think that Kentucky's going to have a real hard time moving the ball. I think Tennessee is always going to have a hard time moving the ball as long as Joe Milton's their quarterback. So I just, yeah, I think 51 and a half is way too high a total for this game. Completely agree. All right, let's talk some upset picks here. Um, you're, we're both going out west, so this is like oh, late yeah. night window. Uh, we're going to be up sweating these ones. So upset pick, who do you think is live uh, to spring one on Saturday night? Oh, I think it's the most live upset pick for the end of the season. The Arizona Wildcats wow. uh, hosting or the Oregon State Beavers this week. Uh, Reed, do you want to take a guess who the number eight team in offensive success rate is this season? It's the Arizona I mean, Wildcats. As I said, I was going to guess it was Arizona. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, like this team is being extremely underrated because of how inconsistent and kind of all over the place they were early in the season. But since they, specifically since they put Fafita in at quarterback, this offense has been not just like explosive, but balanced. Like they're running the ball at a top 10 rate. They're passing the ball at a top 10 rate. And like Oregon State's defense based on like, previous years there's a misconception that it's a hard-nosed defense this defense has like graded out pretty poorly this season you can put up points on them like you look at like the ucla game when they i think they ended up winning 36 24 into that game that was turnover based on dante moore Fafita has been very careful with the ball and i don't think they're going to give these opportunities and honestly arizona's defense has actually been better than we kind of realize or most people tend to realize and as much improvement as dju has shown this season I don't think that he is the type of consistent force that it will take to go on the road and get into a shootout, which I think Arizona might get this game into. And so getting three and a half points at home against a flawed Oregon State team and an Arizona team that is trending nowhere but up, I like the upset pick here. I played the over in this one because I think yeah. both it kind of the same line of thinking. I think that both offense are going to cook. Um, I, I think a similar script, though, to – when Oregon State lost at Washington State, I think it's like yeah. a similar type matchup where Oregon State struggles to get any sort of stops, and it's going to come down to DJU making one mistake, missing one throw down the field when he needs it, and then Oregon State just falls behind and they can't get enough stops to stay in the game. So I completely agree with you uh, on the Arizona side. That would be the way I'd play it. I played the over though myself. Uh, my pick, Timo Tyon going into the year, they've looked good so far. Big test here, got to have it. Uh, UNLV plus seven and a half against Fresno State. I think they could win this game outright. Fresno State, uh, both teams have played pretty limited schedules. UNLV yeah. obviously played Michigan, but outside of that, they haven't really played anybody. But Fresno hasn't really played anybody either. And the two times they played decent rush offenses, Wyoming and Utah State. Fresno State won at Utah State. I know you had a pick in that one. I know Fresno State won, but Utah State outgained them pretty convincingly. Outgained them 7.1 to 5.6 yards per play. Wyoming won at home with a ground-based attack. We're able to slow the game now. UNLV doesn't play the same way, but UNLV could attack on the ground. So Fresno mm -hmm. State team, bottom 15 in tackling grade. And that's not this, – this is an explosive UNLV offense. Run a go-go offense with new OC Brennan uh, Marion. They went to the freshman quarterback, Mavia. 
lot of lot of ground game here. So it's going to be can Fresno State get the stops on the ground to really hold on here? I'm a little concerned they can. I know it's a road game for UNLV and uh, you know freshman quarterback. Maybe things go sideways, but because they pass at a bottom twenty rate, I feel like that kind of negates some of the pressure that he's going to be under. And we also saw though big game last week against Colorado State at home needs to rally. They kind of let the kids spin a little bit, pass for over 300 yards in his first game, no turnovers. So yeah, maybe this is like the UNL, like UNLV team trending up. I just I don't see much of a separation here between these two ball clubs to make Fresno State a touchdown favorite. I know that I, maybe they expect Mikey Keene to come back and uh, return to form and all that, but again, I just. Fresno State's resume just doesn't scream like overwhelming favorite against a good UNLV team. UNLV top 10 in turnovers generated struggle against the pass or um, I'm sorry. They struggle to defend explosive plays at times, but Fresno hasn't been all that explosive. They really struggled uh, stopping defensive pressure. They're outside the top 100 in sacks allowed and yards per carry. So the offensive line is a bit suspect. I, I don't think Fresno State's going to be able to pull away and win with margin this one. And I think UNLV is live for an upset. I think there's a chance that you're getting like the better team at a huge price. I I don't know if I would go as far as outright. I respect you putting your, you know, gumption out there with that. But I will say that the seven and a half number, I don't know where they're getting that. Because when you look at the numbers, the underlying numbers, success rate, EPA per play, that type of stuff, these two teams are pretty damn evenly matched. Like they're very much on par, and so you're giving someone you're giving Fresno more than a touchdown of cushion with this line. I don't like that, and I love your pick on that side because I just think it's I, it's just a line that's too high. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll see if UNLV is uh, up to the task. And of course, as we close out every show, we're gonna do our sickos pick. And I gotta say, might be the sickest. It might. This might. This might be uh, the sickest one of the year. I, last week we did two disgusting Big Ten games. We hit both. Which oh is pretty, yeah. I, I, that, don't let that one fly under the radar. Uh, this one though is pretty disgusting. So Cody, where are you going with your sickos pick this week? Yeah, if you need some peek behind the curtain, I had to check like three different books just to find this line. <laughs> so that's how sick it is. Uh, but I'm going Old Dominion team total under 13 and a half against James Madison. On the road at James Madison. Uh, so James Madison is almost definitely going to move to 8-0 on the, after this game. Uh, but I'm not touching a line of minus 20 for JMU, a team that's played a lot of close games, even though they've stayed perfect. But the one thing I'm confident in is that the Dukes are not going to let the Monarchs move the ball a whole lot in this game. Uh, JMU ranks sec- second in the country in defensive success rate this year. And now they're matched up at home against an ODE offense that's outside of the top 100 in offensive offensive success rate. They're substantially better running the ball. I think they're 27th in EPA, uh, and they're outside of the top 120 in passing the ball. So this is an ODU team that wants to run the ball. JMU ranks inside the top 10 in terms of rush uh, rush defense success rate. I don't ODU has one way that they can move the ball, and JMU has proven that they're not just good, they're elite at stopping that one area of the of, uh they're elite in that area defensively is what I'm trying to say. And I just don't think that ODU is going to have a chance to move the ball. I'm not saying James Madison's going to put up a huge total, but I know that Old Dominion with the way this offense is constructed against this defense on the playing on the road is not going to be able to get two touchdowns. I, I had Old Dominion under win total. They went over last week. I still don't know how. They're terrible. <laughs> 
and James Madison, they're the best group of five team this year. Mm-hmm. They, I absolutely. wish they could make a bowl. They're they're a wagon. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, absolutely. This defense is suffocating. I've watched them a handful of times. Uh, Jordan McLeod's been playing really well on offense. That's irrelevant to this bet. But, uh, yeah, the defense is absolutely suffocating. I think they I think they might blank Old Dominion, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know what? Even if they get a garbage time score, under still hits. That's all that matters. Yeah, I, I, I like this one quite a bit. Um, especially like when you get in close, JMU is just absolutely nails. What's their uh, JMU? They are inside the red zone. I can pull this up really fast. JMU, nah, not as good as I thought, but I thought it would be better. But uh, they're only allowing touchdown on sixty percent of plays, right around the national average. Uh, but like you had mentioned, uh, they're the number one rush defense in the entire country. So yeah. uh, I think they'll be okay. All right, <laughs> my sickos pick. I'm going to take New Mexico plus one against Nevada. Uh, I have I have absolutely no idea why Nevada is favored against New Mexico. I make New Mexico about a four-point favorite. Uh, not saying New Mexico is good by any means. Not saying they're going to do much. But without a doubt, New Mexico has the best unit on the field, and that is their offense, led by Dylan Hopkins and Brian Vincent, both coming from UAB, the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. New Mexico – should move the ball at will against Nevada, a team that is bottom 10 in EPA per play allowed. On offense, they are 95th in EPA per play. Um, I think this is just I'm going to trust the better team. I don't see much home field advantage. Maybe it's because Nevada beat San Diego State 6 to nothing last week. They're getting a little bit of credit. That being said, I don't see how Nevada, if they're going to stop a pretty, a pretty strong New Mexico offense, how is Nevada keeping pace? Go look at New Mexico's box scores. I know that they've been privy to getting, you know, letting up a ton of points. But if you go through who they played this year, especially like like competition, like throughout the Texas yeah. A&M game in the opener and the FCS opponent, lose 27-17 at home to New Mexico State. Rivalry game in New Mexico State has won like five in a row. So maybe that, that loss to aging well. Then they then go to UMass and put up 34 and win. They put up 26 against Wyoming. I believe that's one of the highest point totals that yeah. Wyoming has allowed. They lose 52 to 24 to San Jose State. That being said, I believe it was a tie game at half in that one. And then things just went absolutely sideways. Again, though, Nevada doesn't have like big playability. There's no, they're not getting the 52 points. Hawaii watched, I watched part of that game last week. New Mexico was going up and down the field, 142 21. New Mexico is better. That's yeah. a better team. There's no home field advantage here. There's no nothing. New Mexico is going to win this game outright. Nevada, congrats on your first win, winning 6 nothing against a hapless San Diego State team. Later, you're probably not going to win a game the rest of the year. Give me the Lobos. Yeah, uh, Nevada shouldn't be favored against any FBS football team. That's just the point, point blank that's period. It. Like, that's just what it is. And then, like, like, Put some respect on the Lobos' name. And, like, yeah, I mean, they're an hour and a half down the road. Like, that's my boys down there, you know? But, um you know, you look at that San Diego State game, which I'm I'm supposing is where this line is coming from for Nevada to be favored. San Diego State I, looks like a team that has quit. Like they're not playing. Like, it's not like they look that. It's not like they look so good either. They won six nothing. Yeah, like it's not. <laughs> like, it's not like if Nevada put up like thirty five and like they were cooking, like maybe they stumbled onto something and like you know had a breakout <laughs> game on offense. Short. They won six nothing, Cody. <laughs> six nothing. I mean, like. Let me put it this way. When I looked at the doc with our picks on it, 
I thought you had made a typo because I hadn't looked at the line for this game and I thought it was New Mexico minus one. And I was like, oh, that's a little low. Yeah. And then it's plus one. Are you kidding me? This is my favorite bet of uh, all the ones we did this week. Logos. Oh, yeah. I love it. Plus one. Also late night. I'm going to be, I'm going to be up sweating a bunch of bets at 1030. I have, I have I mean, a busy uh, 1030 window. I, is, we could go one in five apiece as long as we hit the sickos pick. That's all yeah. that matters. Like, who cares? All right, so we capped off with the sickos pick. Why don't you recap all the picks we did, and then we'll get out of here. For sure. So um, favorite total, I went BYU-Texas under 50.5. Georgia-Florida, Georgia first half, minus 7.5. Oregon-Utah have the Oregon team total under 28.5 and, and a little bit of a you know sparring match with you. Uh, <laughs> Primetime pick, I have uh, UCLA minus 17 against Colorado. Upset pit, give me Arizona, Noah Fafita to upset Oregon State. They're plus three and a half. And then Sicko's pick, Old Dominion team total under 13 and a half, baby. There's Cody's picks. My picks, uh, I took up the West Virginia UCF over 59, the Georgia-Florida over 50 or 46 and a half, sorry. Uh, the Oregon-Utah team total over 28 and a half for Oregon. Tennessee-Kentucky under 51 and a half. Took UNLV plus seven and a half against Fresno State. And New Mexico, plus one against the Lobos. Cody, great show, my guy. Always appreciate you joining me. And appreciate all you joining us. Again, if you are signing up for DraftKings, make sure you use the code STB. You bet $5, you get $200 in bonus bets. And you get no sweat, same game parlays every single day for the rest of the football season. If you want to learn more about it and see if you qualify, check out the episode description below for the full terms of the offer. Cody, good luck on your picks. Let's see if uh, who will win that head-to-head one, and I'll talk to you next Wednesday, week 10. How are we already here? It's wild, man, but good luck to you as well, and I'll see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $129 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.